Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Jared. Uh, my name is Jared Ott. I've been at Christ Church for about 14 years now. Uh, it's uh, my privilege and delight to be with you here this morning. Um, I help out with some of the counseling needs here at the church, so it is great to be with you here this morning. As I mentioned, uh, being here for 14 years, I've seen a lot of changes uh, through this church in light of Wade's announcement uh, this morning of uh, the wonderful opportunity for him. I want to let you know, from my perspective, I agree with Robbie, you know, that really God is the, the head pastor of this church. And despite all the changes over the past 14 years, he keeps moving it. And I'm excited for where God is going to take it next. And so during this, uh, this 40 up, uh, time of 40 up, I do encourage you to be in prayer about what's next and to focus on God, really, and not about our own feelings and emotions in the matter. So uh, I do encourage you with that this morning. If you've been with us the past few weeks, uh, you know that we've been in the uh, series called The King's Cross, and we've been working through the book of Mark. And the subtitle of the series, if you don't know, is uh, that the book of Mark really points to a tree. And we're going to see that this morning with this passage. Uh, this passage is not uh, the easiest passage. Uh, so I, I did encourage the folks at 9 to uh, strap in, put your boots on, because uh, this is a, it's, a tough, it's a tough passage. But I think that we can get some stuff out of it this morning. And what I'd like to do as we work through it is make, some, make three points or questions for you that we can apply to our lives. But before we do that, will you pray with me? God, thanks for today. Thank you so much for this church and what you're doing, Father. Thank you that we can focus on you. Father, I pray that it is about what you're doing and not how we're feeling. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you enter into this room as you have so many times of the years. Fill us up. Help us to feel your presence from our head to our toes. Be with me this morning. Speak through me. I pray that you use my lips. I pray that they are your lips. My heart is your heart. Father, help us to be open to the message you want us to hear this morning. In your name, amen. So some of you know I grew up uh, in New Jersey, and I went to a small Christian school in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And because it was a smaller school, we didn't have some of the big sports like football, which we did. But uh, our big sport was soccer. And so every, you know, soccer was the big thing, so the whole school would come out to that. That was our, that was our big sport. And I remember every year we got very close to winning the championship. In my senior year, we got very close. We had a good year that year, and we got all the way to the championship game. And I remember we were down one nothing, and uh, it was towards the, end of the, uh, towards the end of the game. I knew we were getting close to being uh, running out of time. And so I remember getting the ball right around midfield and dribbling up, and I thought, I'm going to take a shot. And it was one of those things where when you kick it, everything kind of slows down. And you had visions of, this is going in. And I'm going to be the king of the school. They're going to carry me off the field like Rudy. And it's just going to be a wonderful thing. I'm going to go to the school the next day, and everybody's going to hail me as the king of the school because I just went into overtime and we won. To my horror, not only was I close to the upper right-hand corner, but I was also close to the post as well. And uh, the ball, missing by just a few inches, hit the post, ricocheted off, and went out of bounds. And a few minutes later, the ref blew the whistle, and the game was over. I remember coming off the, uh, the field, and my, my coach saying to us, hey, guys, we were close. We were, we were close this year. We were not far from winning that championship. Close, but not close enough. Now, why would I tell you that this morning? Am I trying to relive my high school sports career? Yes, I am. No. <laughs> I tell you that because I think we're all very familiar with the phrase, close, but not close enough. When we look at this passage this morning, one phrase really stands out to us, but it should stand out to us. You are not far from the kingdom. We understand this. Close, but not close enough. 
football on the, the one-yard line, but not in the end zone. The race we almost won. The job we almost got. The deal we almost landed. It's very possible to be very close to somebody, but yet never get married. Close, but not close enough. In this passage, Jesus is describing this individual this way. You are not far from the kingdom. And this phrase stands out to us because as we study the book of Mark the past few weeks, we understand that Jesus' presence here was really about ushering in the kingdom. That's why in Mark chapter 1, he said the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We saw in chapter 1, the disciples, uh, if you remember the story, the disciples came up to Jesus. They said, everybody's looking for you. You need to be where the people are. And he said, no, 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 I need, we need to move on so I can preach the news to them, to repent and believe. That's why he was here. And throughout the past few weeks, we've been talking about the miracles and the things that Jesus did are really a testament to the fact that he is the king, that he is the savior. He has power to heal the sick, power to heal the paralytic. Last week, we, we saw that he has power over the wind and waves. He is the king. He's here. And he's ushering in the kingdom. He's calling people even today. Hey, I want you to come into my kingdom. But it's not about what you're doing, not about your works. It's based on repentance and faith. Repent and believe the good news. So we understand this this morning. So what we have here, we have uh, in verse 28, if you have your Bibles there, if you have your, uh, um, your service sheet, verse 28 says, Of the teachers of the law, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked, of all the commandments, which one is most important? Now, if you look at the, the chapter, you, you'll see that the rabbis were really trying to trap Jesus. They were asking him questions about money and marriage, and they were trying to really trap Jesus. And here you have a teacher of the law, someone who obviously knows the law very well, Asking Jesus a question. Now, we have to understand about this is that this question wasn't necessary to try to trap Jesus. We know this because he calls Jesus teacher. He affirms that Jesus gave a good answer. And so this question was probably more one of, of uh, not one of confrontation, but more of clarification. Because this question was also very common in those days. You see, the rabbis, the teachers of the law, they looked at all the commandments all the commandments, and if you don't know, there's 613 of them in the Old Testament. And so they would look at all the commandments, and they always try to figure out which ones were, 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 uh, were heavier weight, which ones were more important, which ones were less important. They also try to always condense it down to one sentence. So this man's question was really one of clarification. Jesus, I really want to know which one of these is the most important so I can do it. And you see in verse 29 the response. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, that's an important verse. Some people will look right over that. I know when I was a kid, I thought, oh, that's, you know, he's just, that's, that's great. Look right over that. But that's important. Because the word hear there is the word for shema. In Hebrew, it means to hear. And this passage really comes from Deuteronomy 6, if you're not familiar with it. Deuteronomy 6 Starting in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And 5 through 6, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and get up. This is from Deuteronomy 6. It was the traditional way uh, the Orthodox Jews would, would start their services with the Shema, is what they would call it. 
And they still do this today. If you'd walk into an Orthodox Jewish service, they would start it with the Shema. In verse 8, it says, tie them on symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Orth- very devout Orthodox Jews would do this. They would actually tie little leather boxes on their hands and on their foreheads while they prayed to remind them of the Shema, the Lord, or Lord our God is one. They would take verse 9 of Deuteronomy 6. It says, write them on door frames of your houses and on your gates. Therefore, they would have these little boxes on the edge of their houses called the mezuzah. And these little boxes contained parchment that had the Shema. It reminded them of God as they left and went in. So you're thinking, well, Jared, that is a great Hebrew lesson for you this morning. We can apply that to our lives. We have little leather boxes for you as you leave this morning. No. No, the point of that is, is that Jesus was using something very familiar to this guy. Something that he would have as a ritual, as a tradition. And he was answering the question with something that he already knew. It should be very familiar to this man. So then you have the next verse. He says, love the Lord your God, verse 30, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus boils down those commandments into one word, love, love. The Hebrew word for love here is one that is about commitment. It's about love that recognizes and chooses to follow something that's righteous, noble, true, regardless of one's feelings in the matter. It's the same Greek equivalent to the word agapo in the New Testament, which is the verb for intelligent, purposeful, and committed love, an act of the will, despite what we feel in the matter. That's why when I'm counseling couples, that's the kind of love you want to have. The agapo, committed, no matter what. Yeah, the, the eros, the, you know, the passionate love, that's good. We want you to be attracted to each other. I get it. But we want you to be committed. Love, no matter what. So how do we love? Well, he says it with all your heart. The heart, it's, it's the hub of our existence. It's the Greek word for cardia, which is where we get the word cardio. Out of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. So we've got to love them with all our heart. It's a mainspring of thoughts, words, and deeds. We've got to love them with all our soul. What's the soul? The soul is the, the, the Greek equivalent for the word uh, emotion. That's where we get the word emotion. It's the, it's the closest we can get. Jesus used this word when he cried out in the Garden of the Gethsemane in the night he was arrested. My soul is deeply grieved beyond the point of death. And then the mind. It's not only the center of our intellectual life, but of our attitudes and dispositions. And then the strength. The ability we have to carry out things despite what's going on around us. The strength. Moreover, we also need to understand that Jesus is saying, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. We have to use it to the fullest. That's why C.S. Lewis said, the only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's everything. It's everything. It's total devotion to God. Now, how can you look at that and apply it to your own lives this morning? Because there are times that we do these uh, different areas better than others. You may think, well, you know, I really love the Lord, my God. I love him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I've talked to a lot of people who know Scripture inside and out. And I'll sit with them, and I'll talk with them. And they will quote Scripture to me all day. And they'll have it in their minds that they love God. But in their heart, they're not following him whatsoever. Or you look at it a different way. You think, well, you know what? I know God is at the center of my life. I love him. But when things get tough, when storms come up, my emotions are all over the place. 
I get worried, I get fearful, I get afraid. Or I'll talk to people who are very depressed, very down. And they'll say, you know what, I know the scripture, I know that I'm supposed to love God, but I don't have the strength to get out of bed in the morning. As we look at today, one of the things I really appreciated with uh, Robbie this morning as I talked to him, because if you weren't here, Pastor Wade made an announcement about God calling him some other place. I said, Robbie, how, how are you doing with it? And he said, you know what, I'm okay. I know, that, I know that our God is the center of the ship. I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm following him. And I have the strength. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. That's all of it working in unison right there. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. So are you doing that this morning? Point number one, are you doing that this morning? Do you have control over some areas of your life, but maybe not others? My encouragement is to make sure that you're doing it to the fullest, all your mind, soul, strength, and might. It's the key. So then, Jesus says, uh, the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is a pretty straightforward answer. Now, when I was a kid, I heard this uh, passage many times. And I, uh, I, I, mean, I did not like my neighbors whatsoever. I thought they were the, my physical neighbors around me when I was a kid. That's what I thought of. And I thought, my neighbors around my house are creepy. There's no way. I, it's just no way. The guy next to me, the guy right on the one side of her house would always uh, stand outside at night in his underwear and smoke cigarettes, like, all night. The guy two houses down, if we'd go in his yard, he'd scream at us. And the guy behind her house had two dogs that barked all the time, one of which was named Fang. <laughs> and so I thought, growing up, I thought, man, if I can love these people, my neighbors, I can love anybody. But I think we all know that Jesus is talking about a broader context here. It's not just the people that we physically live around us. It's anybody. That's why Dallas Willard said, in the morning we cannot yet know who our neighbor will be that day. You know, this, uh, this whole passage is really paralleled in Luke 10. We're not going to have you turn there, but this, it's, it's paralleled in Luke 10. It says, on one occasion, the expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify, and he said, well, who's my neighbor? And right after that, Jesus goes into the parable of what? The Good Samaritan. And I think many of you are familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. There was a guy going down to Jericho. He gets beat. He's laying along the side of the road. And then a priest comes by first. And a priest goes along the other side of the road, goes right by him, goes on to his thing. And then a Levite comes by. He's an assistant to the priest, and he also goes right on by. But then you have a Samaritan, who the Jews did not like because of intermarrying. He's the one that took care of him. And you see in that story, he picks him up, puts him on the camel, takes him to the inn, cares for him all night. Says he left the next morning. And then tells the innkeeper, hey, take care of this guy, and when I come back through, I'll pay whatever it costs. Basically, a blank check. In other words, it was unconditional. It was unconditional. And the thing is, it had nothing to do with a guy needing or deserving love. The Samaritan didn't walk by and say, you know what, this guy did something for me, so he deserves it. 
Claire de Graff, and speaking of who are neighbors, they said, he said it's not the people who need it and appreciate it, because if God stopped loving us and providing for us because we didn't deserve it or appreciate it, we'd all be in big trouble. Loving others in a biblical manner involves our thoughts, words, actions, and deeds. Loving others biblically is dependent on our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, not dependent on people, circumstances, or our feelings. It's love no matter what. Marriages, we understand this. Relationships, we understand this. If I could sum up one thing that I say to couples all the time, it's selflessness. Selflessness. If you can't get there, then we're not getting anywhere. Because there's no point talking about commitment or conflict or children and parenting or financial situations or roles or values or relationship roles or whatever, spiritual beliefs. If you're not selfless, then forget it. If you're not going to see through the eyes of your spouse, then forget it. Most marriages wrestle with this, this selflessness thing. If they could just get that, then, hey, we're 90% of the way there. And in life, we have to do that, too. It's a selfless thing. Not that people deserve it. Now, at this point, some of you may, there's times where you say, yeah, that's not easy to do when I've been hurt, to love our neighbor, to love somebody that's hurt you. And I know we can all pinpoint times where we've been hurt. It's hard to do. It is. You say, well, it's easy for that guy, the Samaritan, because that... He didn't really, the guy that was beaten didn't really hurt him, so it's probably easy to take care of him. When you're driving down the road and you see somebody who needs a, uh, is alongside the road with a flat tire, it's easy to pull alongside to help. But I ask you, if that guy cut you off or a girl cut you off 200 yards down the road, would you stop? It's not as easy. And see, when we talk about loving somebody, oftentimes we have to forgive them first. And couples will say, well, hey, isn't that justifying what they did? If I forgive them, aren't I just justifying what they did? I say, absolutely not. You forgive them because Christ forgave you. That's why Jesus died first. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we were reconciled to him. You may never be reconciled to that person. But you forgive them because Christ forgave you first. That's why we do it. It has nothing to do with whether or not they deserved it. But we love because he first loved. It's a selfless thing. In talking about loving others, one author writes, self-promotion, self-preservation, self-centeredness, it's all about me. If everyone told us it was all about us, didn't they? That's what everybody said. We were urged to look out for number one, find our place in the sun, make a name for ourselves. We thought self-celebration would make us happy. But what, if, but what kind of chaos does this philosophy create? What if a symphony includes such an outlook? Can you imagine an orchestra, an orchestra with an it's-all-about-me approach to music? Each artist clamoring for self-expression, tubas blasting nonstop, percussionist pounding to get attention, the celloist shoving the flutist out of the way, the trumpeter standing atop the director's stool tooting his horn, the sheet music's disregarded, the director's ignored. What you have is an endless tune-up session. Harmony? Hardly. Happiness? Are the musicians really happy to be in that group? Not at all. Who enjoys contributing to a cacophony? You don't. We don't. We're not made to live this way. But aren't we guilty of doing just that, living in a self-centered, self-promoted world? We do that. It's all about me. And if we want to love other people, the problem is, is that we almost have to think less of ourselves. And this is the paradox. 
We've titled this series, this, this sermon, Living the Paradox. This is the paradox right here. Because you can look at this verse and say, well, the more I love myself, the more maybe the more love I'll have with other people. Or we live in a world where it says, you know, it's all about me. The problem is with that. Is the more that you're full of yourself, the easier it is to hold all kinds of grudges against everyone around you and not love or forgive them because you don't feel like they deserved it at all. That's the paradox. In reality, you want to love and forgive more, you actually have to start thinking less of yourself because then you realize how much sin you have in your life to recognize how far you are from God. And then you understand the insurmountable debt that he paid on the cross for you. Then it's not about you, it's all about him. And then once you learn to accept, accept love and forgiveness, then you can start giving it more freely. That's the basis of the gospel. That's why Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. It was D.L. Moody who said, I, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the and the world. There is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. So that's my question for you. Point number two. Is how are you doing with that? Loving your neighbor. How are you doing with a selfless attitude towards those around you? Are there people in your life that maybe you need to forgive? That you're having a hard time doing because you think, oh man, they hurt me so bad. And if I forgive them, that's just justifying what they did. Can you get to a point to say, today to say, you know what? I'm going to forgive them. I may never be reconciled to them, but I'm going to forgive them. Because I understand how much Christ forgave me first. Can you do that today? So how are you doing with that? Here's my final point. And this is where this might sting a little bit. So I'm sorry. But Jesus, but the man said, well, said teacher, the man replied, you're right in saying that God is one and that there's no other before him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the other burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this man, the teacher of the law, saying, you know what? Hey, I'm a scribe. I understand the law. You gave a great answer. You did. He also uses the Shema. The Lord our God is one. He understands that God is one. There's no other but him. He also affirms that love is important. He's not saying that sacrifices are irrelevant because they are established by God, but without a part of love, they're, they're pointless. To obey is better. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? See, it's not about routine. We try to follow the commandments and live sacrificially. We try to earn our place in heaven. That's what we try to do. Jesus, what is the number one commandment that I need to do to follow you? Jesus saw that he'd answer wisely. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Then no one dared ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God. What a bummer to hear. I mean, if there's anything I don't want to hear from God, say, hey, you're close. But not close enough. It's odd because this man was so religious. He's interested in finding which commands are there to obey God. It would seem logical that he would be in, not far, but in. This happened with a rich young ruler just two chapters ago in Mark 10. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but as Jesus started on his way, a man came up 
And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, do not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said, teacher, I have kept all these since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and your treasures will be in heaven. Then come follow me. And the disciples were amazed at this. They said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Who then can be saved? If that guy can't get in, who can get in? He's following all the laws. He says, one thing you lack. You're close, but not close enough. That's like the man who's asking the story. He's not far. You're not far. You're close, but not close enough. You need to take one more step. Well, he needed to obey the commands of the God. It wasn't just that. He needed to repent and believe in Jesus as his Savior. That's the key. That's the key. He wanted to know what the number one commandment was. He called him teacher, when in reality he should have called him Savior. Repent and believe the good news. Some of us will say, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm, I'm loving God pretty good. I'm uh, loving my neighbors. Some of them I'm a little iffy on, but I'm doing okay there. The problem is, if you look at this, it says all your heart, all your soul all your strength, all your mind. Well, that's inspiring. We should feel inspired. It also should help us feel condemned because there's no way on earth that I've done that every day of my life. And there's no way on earth that you've done that every day of your life. All your heart, all your strength, all your mind. That's why in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells the man about loving his neighbor, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, go and do the same. Go and do the same. But he already just got done saying, hey, if a priest can't do it and a Levite can't do it, do you really think you can do it? All, all, all. It's impossible to earn our way to heaven, to live perfectly. Christ is the one who paid for that penalty, for the perfection that we couldn't live up to. Because like everyone who's ever lived, this man was not able to keep the law perfectly and loving God and other people. To do so is impossible because by the works of the law comes the knowledge of sin. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform. As a result, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that there is none righteous, not even one. Jesus isn't saying that there's some people somewhere who could possibly make it in by keeping the law, by keeping those commandments. He's saying there's eternal death to those who disobey it. But there's good news. There's good news. Is that Jesus paid the penalty for that sin. For not living perfectly. So that, yes, we can not only get close, but we can get in. That's why Timothy Keller, who wrote in the book The King's Cross, who we base our passage, this, our, our whole series, says, if we concentrate on rules and regulations exclusively, we can begin to feel pretty righteous. But when we look at the heart attitude and what the law is really requiring getting at, we begin to realize how much more we need mercy and grace. So the question to you, finally, last question, is how are you doing with that this morning? Are you trying to live up to some kind of perfection that you can't get to? Are you trying to keep the commandments? Be a good person. Love God. Love your neighbors. Go to church. Say your prayers. But are you there? 
at your funeral, will people say, ah, he was or she was so close. Lived his whole life on the one-yard line, but never got in. It only took one more step. That's what Jesus has been saying this whole series in the book of Mark. Repent and believe the good news. So if you haven't done that this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And it's as simple as saying, you know what, Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner, that I can't live perfectly. That you paid a penalty for me, you died on my, died on the cross for my sins. So that I can be in heaven with you, so I can spend eternity with you. I believe in you and I want you as my savior. As we close, rather than let this scripture remind us of the love we can't produce, let us remind us of the love we can't resist, God's love. Some of us are so thirsty for this type of love. Those of you, those who should have loved didn't, those who could have loved didn't, you were left at the hospital, left at the altar, left with an empty bed, left with a question, does anybody really love me? Listen to God's answer. He loves you personally, powerfully, passionately. So much so that he went to the cross and paid the penalty for the imperfection in your life. Others have promised and failed, but God has promised and fulfilled. He loves you unfailingly, and if this love, if you will let it, can fill you and leave you with a love worth giving to those around you. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Father, thank you for the love that you've shown us on the cross. Father, I pray that we use that, Father, and understand that as we, as we love you back and love those around us, Father, unconditionally, blank check, Father. And if you're in this room this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to say that prayer. It would go something like this in your hearts. You say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I understand my imperfection of not living perfectly. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. I repent of my sins and believe on you with my whole heart. Please accept me into your kingdom. Thank you, God, for doing that. And Father, we do sing joyously and praise with all of heaven as those in the room may have come to know you for the first time, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for what you did and the model that you set. Be with us, Father, in your name.